good morning, afternoon, good afternoon. Unless you're watching it tomorrow morning, then it's morning, okay? Uh, but good afternoon to all of you that are here this afternoon. It is good to see you. It's really good to see you. Um, and, and, you know, I, I got to tell you, Bill, I'm so thankful for your heart for Jesus. And when you pray, you take me to the throne room of grace, and I'm thankful for that. Thank you, brother. Amen. Listen, uh, this, this morning, we're, we're, or evening, afternoon, we're going to be in, in the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at a, uh, a group of people that were, um, that were devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, uh, to the Lord's Supper, to the fellowship. They were generously giving, and there was generous growth in the church as a result of that. Uh, this is the first picture that we get to see of the new church, the, the church that has just been birthed. Just like you, you, you like looking at newborn babies, you know, and, and you, you rejoice at these newborn babies. This is a newborn church, and we get to look at the characteristics of this new church this morning as we open up Acts chapter 2. Before we read, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, thank you for letting us open up your word. Lord, thank you for this incredible story, uh, this, this account of your, your new church, your new birth, Lord, of your bride. Lord, I pray for us this morning as we open up your word this evening that our hearts will be open before you. Uh, Father, that we would be transformed by your gospel. Father, I pray that this one that preaches, Lord, that uh, this broken vessel, that, Father, you would, uh, you would bless your church through this preaching. Father, that you pour out this clean, living water to your thirsty people. I ask in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So, uh, my friends, open up your Bibles or your turn on your devices or whatever you have to the book of Acts. We're going to be reading in chapter 2, uh, reading verse 42 to 47. And they, that is the 3,000 that had just been added to the church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." Amen. May God bless this reading, hearing, and teaching of his holy, inerrant word. Amen. You know, when I, I think about this, the, the words here, I think about devotion, I think about generous hearts, and, um, and I wonder where we fit in that picture. You know, would, would we fit under the category of having generous hearts? Uh, when I say we, I'm talking about me, okay? Would I fit in that category? Would I fit as one that's devoted? Would you fit as one that's devoted to the apostles' teaching, to praying, breaking of bread, and to fellowship? Would we? Uh, you know, speaking for myself, sometimes I, I think I'm more, like, um, I'm more like a black sheep. 
Let me tell you about the, the black sheep in my life. When we lived in, in France, we lived in a village outside of Lyon. Our village was Lantilly. And uh, we had two acres. And, uh, and surrounding those two acres was a, a, a ranch. Um, the, the guy grew, or he raised, he grew, he raised sheep. I don't know how many sheep he had. There were a bunch of them. And uh, every evening around sunset, he would walk around from his house over here, and he'd walk around the back of our property, and he would be calling out in French, I'm sure, here, sheepy, 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 <laughs> or something like that. I mean, that's what it sounded like, but it was in French, and I didn't speak French shepherd. And so I'm not sure what he said, but I do know this, that those sheep would go running when he rounded the back and came up this side. They would go running, and they would follow him just trotting like little puppies. It was so cute, you know, back to the barn. One day, one of the sheep didn't follow him. I walked out to see what was the matter, and I found this huge black sheep tangled in the barbed wire of, of the fence over by our house. Uh, one of his front legs was, was wrapped in the, in, the, in the wire. It's as if he uh, had reached for that grass that's greener on the other side of the fence, which really isn't. He had reached for that grass that was greener on the other side of the fence, and somehow he had gotten his, his front leg wrapped in that barbed wire. Uh, he wasn't going to be getting out on his own. Now, there were wild dogs in the area. He would not have made it till morning. And so I thought to myself, this man from South Alabama that doesn't speak French is going to save this French sheep. And this French sheep is going to be so thankful, right? So I, I, I squat down, and I'm doing my best to unwrap the, the, the wire from around the, the leg. And I had no gloves, so I'm getting bloody in the process. And, and the sheep keeps trying to bite me. I mean, what kind of gratitude is that? And, and I'm, I'm doubly um, careful because this sheep had the nastiest brown broken teeth you can imagine. It looked like a, an orc from uh, Lord of the Rings. Like, mm. And so he, he's, he's trying to bite me through the fence because I'm just trying to save his life. You know, and I, I finally, you know, get him free from the fence. And, and he was so thankful. Not. <laughs> you know, the, the, the second his, I get his leg free, he jerks it out of my loving, tender care, and he takes off running down the corner into the barn. Doesn't even look over his shoulder to say thank you. Zero gratitude in that sheep whose life I had just saved. The thing is that more often than not, that's, that's the way we treat Jesus. He's not only saved our lives, but he's given us new life. So he's taken away the guilt and power of sin, and he's poured into us his righteousness. We give him a little bit of devotion early on. We give him a little bit of worship every now and then. But for the most part, we're like that, that dirty black sheep, not even looking over our shoulders and just running pell-mell through the rest of our lives. These apostles were different, or these, these, these Christians were different than that. These first 3,000, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. When we hear, hear the word devotion, what, what goes through our minds? You know, we think of, um, maybe we think of marriage, right? Uh, the husband's devoted to his wife, the wife's devoted to her husband, right? Um, 
except that more and more that's not the case. Uh, we, we think children devoted to their parents and parents devoted to their, their children. Maybe we think of mothers and think all mothers are devoted. Well, all mothers aren't devoted. I wish that were true, that they really were, but they're not. Uh, we think of the fact that all Christians are devoted to Jesus just as de- Jesus is devoted to us, but, but that's not the case. Maybe we think of, of loyalty between an employee and, and their company, but, but that doesn't exist anymore. Gone are the days when, when people work 20, 25, 30 years for the same company and the company's taking care of them and they're taking care of the company. That kind of loyalty and devotion is gone. So when we think of devotion and we read the words devotion in this place, in Acts 2, uh, we need to take it away from, from our understanding of the word devoted. And we need to take it back to what would have been in their thinking on that day. So I'm going to add the word generous to the beginning of it. Instead of just saying they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, I'm going to say they were generously devoted to the apostles' teaching because I think that better captures what was really going on in their world. There was a generous devotion Listen, these were, these were religious people. What could there have been about, this, about the teaching of these apostles that so captured these religious people that everything else in their world was put aside and they were generously devoted to the apostles' teaching? What was it that was so exciting? It wasn't just the what that was taught. It's the who, the who. It was the person, the relationship. They were putting aside uh, religion for a religiousless grace. They were putting aside a distant God for an intimate Savior. They're putting aside a law they could never, ever meet for the grace of God. They're putting aside an inability to follow with a grace and and, and indwelling of the Holy Spirit that helped them follow. They're putting aside fear in gaining faith, intimate, incarnational, Emmanuel, God with us kind of faith. So they were listening with open hearts and open minds. The passage tells us that they they were learning this. They were devoted to the apostles teaching uh, and they were, they were together in the temple courts. They were together in their homes, house by house, home by home. They were together daily. So they were hearing this in the large groups. They were hearing the apostles teaching in, in the small groups. Hearing of a God that had been betrayed and yet forgave. They were hearing of, of a, guy that was, a God that was more than just a creator and a lawgiver, but a God that was Abba, Father. And it was changing the way they lived and the way they loved. Practically speaking, what is it that the apostles were teaching? Well, they weren't, they weren't teaching the letters of Paul. Those had not been written yet. They weren't teaching the gospels according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Those had not been written yet. So they're teaching the Old Testament and they're teaching what Jesus had taught them during his three years on, of, of ministry on earth with them and the 40 days of probably more intense teaching that they had received between the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. So they're teaching, they're teaching that. 
They're helping the people that would have known the Old Testament very well. They're helping them make those connections that when David speaks of a Messiah, he's speaking of Jesus the Christ. They're helping them make those those connections and teach them how to walk in this, this new way. They're doing it in the temple courts, large group. They're doing it in small groups. So at EP, we have small groups called Renew Groups, right? Um, other churches I've, I've been a part of, we've had, we've called them community groups. We've called them life groups, uh, lifeline groups, um, small groups, uh, koinonia groups. Um, what else? We, we, you can find all sorts of, of names. We've called them all sorts of, of names, right? Here we call them Renew Groups, same thing. Uh, I want to encourage you to be a part of a Renew Group. I want to encourage you to take that opportunity to grow more devoted to the apostles' teaching. So I, I want you to know that, that the Renew Group leaders are trained. They're, uh, they're trained, they're, they're vetted ahead of time. Uh, and let me say to you, if you are a Renew Group leader, uh, that if you haven't been through training this year, then you need to do that. Because, the, um, let, let me be clear um, about that. You need to do, you have to do that, okay? Uh, if we're going to make sure that our Renew Group leader, our, our Renew Groups are led by men and women that are, that are devoted to the apostles' teaching, then our Renew Group leaders have to be constantly trained. One of the things we see here is that the tense of the text is that they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching. So even if you're a leader, if you're a leader, I want you to know that you're going to have to come back every year and be, be continually trained. Why do we do that? Because you're, you're, you're no different than the person next to you. You're no different than me. You and I have to be continually devoted to the apostles' teaching and to growing in how we understand God's word and how we communicate it to others. So we, we want to we be good at, at doing that, devoted in that way to that. I encourage you to devote yourself generously to the apostles' teaching, not just through large group worship on a Sunday or Saturday afternoon, not just through small groups, renewed groups, but devoted to the apostles' teaching through your own daily personal study of God's Word. Uh, if you need help and how to do that, I'll be glad to help you to, to, to know how to do that, and one of our elders will come alongside you in the same way. Um, someone asked me when I was going through the interview process here, what gets you up in the morning? And I think the, the thrust of the question is, what excites you in life? I think it's a standard question that you ask people when they're looking for a job. What gets me up in the morning is that I want to make sure I have time to spend with Jesus because when I miss that, I miss the best part of my day. If I know I've got a 645 discipleship group, I want to make sure that I'm up in enough time that I can spend that own intimate time with the Father that no one else can interrupt. That is the best part of my day, is spending time with my Jesus alone. Find a way to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. Second thing that we know they were devoted to was worship. Well, they're devoted to, when it says the, the breaking of bread, it says it in two different places. The first time we read that they're devoted to the breaking of bread, what it means is they're devoted to the Lord's Supper. They're devoted to worship, okay? Um, so a part of their worship would have been taking the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. They didn't take it casually. To say they're devoted to it means that they're serious about it. Now, I don't mean serious with a somber uh, frown that makes them look, you know, like 18th century Presbyterians, you know, the ones that were frozen and chosen. Not, not those guys. Not those guys. The ones that knew that they had been saved from barbed wire and they had new life. 
the ones that knew, as we sang a little while ago, that they will be resurrected by Jesus Christ. So yes, there's a serious and a somberness to it in the nature of repentance when we take the Lord's Supper. But my friends, it's also a joyful celebration because we know that death is no longer our identity. Sin is behind us. It is no longer our captive. What is before us is an eternal relationship with an intimate Savior who calls us home. That's worth getting excited about. So they were devoted to the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to prayer. What were they praying about? I mean, what does it mean to be devoted to prayer? Well, we see later on from James and Paul, we see that there's a, a, a continual prayer. There's a, an attitude of continual prayer. There's a continuing instant in prayer. So we, we know that God calls us to a different mindset. It's a constant consciousness, uh, a constant um, a connection with God through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's a constant prayerful attitude that you have throughout your day and throughout your night, even as you sleep. Even as you sleep. What are they praying for? Remember, these, these had just become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They still know a lot of people that aren't believers. Did you know that the average Christian, once they become a believer, it is only 18 months before they have no more unbelieving friends? 18 months. Within 18 months, the average Christian has no friends that are unbelievers. And it's not because all of their former friends became believers. It's because they quit loving on them and hanging out with them. My friends, find some unbelievers to hang out with. Jesus hung out with all sorts of unbelievers, publicans and sinners and people like me. I'm so glad he did. And he calls us to do the same. He calls us to do the same. So they're still praying for their friends that, that, were, that, are, that were unbelievers, probably some of them, their husbands, their wives, their children, their moms, their dads. They're praying not just for, for the restoration of their soul and salvation. They would have been praying for, for restoration of body, uh, for healing. You know, one of the things we read here is that they were filled with awe and that signs and wonders were happening constantly. They were seeing these signs and wonders happening. And we're going to see this throughout the book of Acts, by the way. So they're, they're praying not just for, for the restoration of a soul, salvation of a soul, they're praying for the restoration of a body. One of the things I love about, about Christianity uh, is that Jesus doesn't just restore our soul. He restores everything in our world. That doesn't mean that we're always healed. The day's gonna come when we see Christ face to face in heaven, and then that body's healed completely. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't answer prayers even now, he does. And we saw in large measure here in the book of Acts, but many of you have seen it uh, here in, in this age, in this life that you have here. You've seen others healed. I have it. It's a beautiful thing to watch. They're seeing signs and wonders, and they're, they're in awe of that, so they're in constant prayer. They're praying for wisdom and for under, understanding. When I was a new believer at, at Auburn, if I've told you the story before, uh, forgive me, it's one of my favorite stories. I, I just got to talk about people coming to Christ. Um, I was a, an SAE, Sigma Alpha Epsilon fraternity at, at Auburn. Um, I don't recommend that for everybody. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but here's what happened. I, I'd been there about six weeks and I became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. A year or so later, I'm living uh, with a friend, John, uh, in room 201 of the SAE house. And John was a prayer warrior. He taught me to pray. 
Uh, every night at 10 o'clock, we opened up our room for prayer. We called it the upper room. And there was a, there was a key to our room on the Coke machine across the hall. So if we weren't in town or we weren't there, then somebody else would always grab that key and they would unlock the door and they would pray. And sometimes there was only one person. Usually there were seven, eight, nine, ten or more people praying in that room. And we might pray for 15 minutes. We might pray for two hours. But we prayed for people by name to come to know Jesus Christ. And we saw people come to know Jesus Christ. One after another after another bent the knee before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Many of those are in ministry around the world even now. Some of those are other PCA pastors in different parts of our nation. Some of those we pray for are still coming to know Jesus Christ a few decades later. Pray. If you read your Friday email from Brady, you noticed that in there a call to fast and pray on this Monday, and I want to encourage you to take part in that, if you're able to do that physically, to, to come alongside the elders and fast and pray wherever you happen to be on that particular day. Let's join together in that. A fourth thing that they were generously devoted to was fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship of, of the group. Um, listen, this is the only group that somebody died to make you a part of. It's the only group that you will ever encounter that is eternal. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And there's a devotion to that group in, in Acts that's beautiful. And it's a devotion that, that you and I are called to as well. They were devoted not just to, to come together and meet together, but to, to care for e each other. It's, it's a group that's more than just a, 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 a fellowship of, of uh, disconnected individuals. They're, they're connected to each other through Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a grace there that had to be evident. As these had come from many different places, they didn't know each other well yet, but they, they knew the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. So forgiveness was high. Uh, the idols of each other's hearts would have been known. And they're, they're, they're forgiving each other in, in this way. Um, grace is huge. Gossip and bitterness are put aside. They're done with that way of life, and they're learning how to love each other in a, in a more beautiful way, devoted to one another, living in fellowship with one another. Look at verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. There's a, there's a fellowship together, dining together. There's something special about when you eat with one another and you break bread. That's what that means in 46. When you break bread together, you're dining with each other. There's something about that table that, where fellowship happens and, and community is built in that place. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. There was something beautiful about their fellowship. They were devoted not just to the fellowship that was there, but to, the, to increasing the number of that fellowship. So there was generous devotion. There was also generous giving. Generous giving. Um, I think there's four characteristics that enter into generous giving. There's identity, humility, love, and grace. Identity, humility, love, and grace that enter into to generous giving. Identity because, well, listen, if your identity is in Jesus Christ and you, only, you no longer need things to make you somebody, you don't need a car to make you somebody. You don't need a house to give you identity and hope. You don't need a bank account that's, that's got to be so large before you're at peace. You don't need your investments to make you 
safe and sound and, and to have that financial safety net. When you have an identity with Jesus Christ, everything changes. Everything changes. I, I grew up having a, um, a passion for cars. Nice cars, shiny cars, fast cars. But I can tell you that one of the, the uh, most exciting cars, if not the most exciting cars I've ever owned was a, a 1995 Honda Civic that when I acquired it, it had 215,000 miles on it. The windows did not always roll up and the air conditioning never worked. <laughs> the air conditioner not working might be okay if you live in Toronto. It's not okay in Charlotte, North Carolina. So why was this car so exciting for me? It was exciting for me because I'm sitting at a Bible study one morning with a bunch of guys and I'm leading this study and we're, we're, we're at the end of it and we talk about prayer requests and, and one of them says, well, Harrison, what about you? How can we pray for you? I said, well, you know, um, I've got a daughter that's about to start driving and uh, I'm gonna let her drive my car because it's larger and safer. It's got all these airbags all around it, uh, you know, and so, but that, that kind of leaves me without a car. So I'm just praying about that and how to, how to acquire a new car, you know, where to get that, what to get. And, uh, and this guy across the table takes keys out of his pocket takes his house key off of the ring, and he gives me his car keys. And I said, what's that? And he said, it's the key to my Honda. I said, you can't just give me your Honda. He said, yes, I can. He said, my wife and I prayed that we would have this Honda for 10 years. Yesterday was 10 years. Here's the Honda. It's now yours. It had 215,000 miles on it. Air conditioner didn't work and the windows rarely rolled up, but it was a gift from the Father. And I loved that Honda Civic. Later, I gave it to another friend who needed a car, and later he gave it to another friend who needed a car. I don't know how many miles it had on it before it finally played out. My friends, generous giving is a blast. When your identity is in Jesus, it's easy to do. The second one of those is humility. What does humility have to do with generous giving? Well, humility has been defined as uh, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. We're not so wrapped up in ourselves, we're able to look at other people and empathy grows. We begin to see their needs as, and we begin to look at those needs as greater than our own needs. Humility is a, a beautiful thing that it contributes to generous giving. Love is another thing, the third thing, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. My friends, if we have a need for it, our neighbor might have a need for it. So when you take what you have and you give it to someone else, let me, let me tell you, giving away cars was one of the most, one of the most fun things that Santa have ever gotten to do. It's been a beautiful thing that we've gotten to do a few times now. And to see the look uh, on somebody's face, uh, like a minivan that we gave to a single mom, and to see the look on her face was just an incredibly beautiful experience. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And the fourth thing is grace. Because that's facing giving generously can sometimes be hard because if you're giving generously what we see in corinthians is it's probably also sacrificially when paul talks of giving in corinthians to the corinthian church he says we're to give generously we're to give cheerfully not under compulsion but cheerfully we're to give sacrificially and we're to give uh in keeping with our income in other words as a percentage of what we what we earn so as we earn more we we give we give more uh, so uh, to give uh, sometimes needs, we need a lot of courage and grace, uh, a faith that comes from, from grace. Jesus was, uh, 
so generous with us and with these individuals that they were eager to sell things that they had in order to take care of others' needs. Verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they're taking, they're taking what they have and giving it to others. How cool is that? And you know, you, you notice that one of the things here isn't uh, only the wealthy gave. There's nothing in here that says that. In fact, you don't see that in any, anywhere in Scripture. The, facts, the fact is that today, the higher income you have, the less percentage of that income you're likely to give on average. Not everybody. I had a friend that owned a phone company. He gave 90% of everything he made to the, to the work of world missions. That's not true of everybody, but generally it's true. But whether you have a little bit and all you have is two copper pennies or you have two billion and you, you can give that, that's not the point. The point is that we're to give generally, generously, cheerfully, sacrificially, and in keeping with, with our income. So for these, that would have been different. They would have been in a different place. Um, giving in the Old Testament, um, we're not going to go into all of it now, but it, they would have been giving about 23% of their income every year. About 23% of, of their income every year. So tithing was a thing in the Old Testament. Tithing means a tenth. Uh, Jesus confirms that in the New Testament. He, he had nowhere, nowhere does he do away with that. So he continues to, 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 uh, to uh, support tithing in, in the New Testament. But what we think of generous today when it comes to giving usually doesn't equate with what we might see as tithing in the New Testament. It certainly doesn't equate with what we see in, in this new church in Acts 42 to 47. I'll give you a couple of, of current statistics. Back during the Depression, 29 to 32, 33, that was back in the 1900s for those of you that, that didn't read history. Um, that's, that's another century. Uh, so um, Christians... Christians gave, even in those dire circumstances, they still gave about 3.3% of their income on average. On average, okay, some tithe, some did not, but an average of 3.3. Back in 2016 or 17, that number's down to 2.4, even though we're not in a recession or depression. So during these pandemic days, that's gone down a little bit, even below that 2.4% average giving across Christianity. So that's as best I can tell. I'm not a mathematician or the son of a mathematician, but that's about one-fourth of 10%. So um, that's not generous giving. I think tithing is what we know from Piper. is kind of like the, the minimum that you want to shoot for, that 10%. And then anything above that would be generous giving. This church was giving generous giving, generous giving. So what, what about us? What about the church in America? Or what, what about just the church at EP? How do we give? Uh, those of you that know me well know that I'm a, a big believer in transparency. Uh, I just, I, I think it's best just to lay it all out there. Our budget this year is about 2.2 million. Um, it was higher last year. Frankly, we've been going downhill since September of 2019. And so we were, we were down uh, about 14 or 15% last year. And so what we did is when we put together a budget this year, we, our, our new budget is about 14% below what it was last year. Okay. Well, guess what? Three weeks into October, we're not meeting that. So we're, we're, not, we're not even there yet. Uh, so are we, are we a tithing church? Are we a generous church? Well, you know, you look at the, at the average um, median household income in Anne Arundel County and Annapolis, uh, and uh, are we average? I don't know if we're average or not. 
I don't, don't think so, but I don't, I don't know that. I have no idea what anybody gives. But it is easy to see that, you know, we're not, we're not even tithing as a church, uh, much less being generous. So at, at, at best, we, we might be giving 4%, but, you know, of, of a tithe, but, um, but probably less than that if we're like average American Christians. So what would happen if we were to start tithing? My friends, instead of, you know, having two or $2.2 million, we'd have five or $6 million that we could do the work of the Lord with. So what does that have to do with you? And why would, why would Harrison talk about um, giving in this place? Well, because Jesus talked about it a lot here. In fact, I think he talked about finances as much as anything else. So if we're going to be faithful to Scripture, we need to do that. And because finances have a way of capturing our heart and, and pulling us away, away from Jesus. So we need, to, we need to talk about those things. My friends, generous giving is a result of generous devotion to a generous Jesus. And I think he calls us to be truly generous as he was truly generous to us. And so just as, um, just as I encourage you to be a part of, uh, of, of Renew Groups and prayer and worship and fellowship with the church and, and the, uh, generously devoted to the apostles' teaching, I want to encourage you to give generously. A recent Vanco study asked Christians and, or church members why they did not give. And you know the number one reason was? They, the number one reason was because no one had asked them. And I thought, really? Well, Jesus did, but whatever. Okay, so, but no one at the church had asked them, so we're not going to do that. I'm asking. Okay. <laughs> I'm asking. So, um, uh, please, please give. And let, me, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I would ask you, um, especially since I've met so few of you, which I grieve. Uh, I, I love when I do get to, to hang out with you. Um, let me give you four quick reasons why. Because as in the keeping with the book of Acts, when we give, when I give, when you give, we get to be a part of meeting someone else's needs. My friends, there are, there are a few things that are as beautiful as that. We get to do that. That's a joy. We get to build God's kingdom. Acts is about the work of the Holy Spirit, equipping you to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the, wor- ends of the earth. When you give, you make that happen. You're a part of making that happen when you give. How cool is that? When someone is transformed in Scotland, when a life is transformed in Indonesia, you are part of making that happen. The Holy Spirit does the work, but the Holy Spirit has called us as Christians to be a part of that. So we get to build God's kingdom. Third, you get to be a blessing. You, you get to give, um, you get to be a blessing as you, as you give. You get the joy of giving. Uh, and, and finally, you get to bring glory to your very generous God. Our God is extremely generous to us. Our generous devotion to the apostles' teaching leads to generous giving and generous growth. It's the last thing we want to mention today. It's almost as an afterthought here because I think it was such a normal part of of, of devotion to the apostles' teaching. When people are committed to Jesus Christ, the church grows. It just happens. You You cannot stop it. When people are devoted to the apostles' teaching, when they're devoted to prayer, when they're devoted to worship and the Lord's Supper, when they're devoted to the fellowship, when they're devoted to generous giving, my friends, the church grows. You cannot stop it. It becomes a gospel explosion. Did you know that 87% of people who come to church do so because they've been invited? That's it. It's not because they saw an ad on TV or got a car in the post office. It's because they've been asked. 
It's just because they've been asked. Now, they're going to go to social media and check out the church before they come, more than likely. But 87%, I'm still, in 2020, I came because somebody asked me. So I want to ask you to be generous in your invitations, okay? <laughs> Generously ask people to come meet Jesus. My friends, Jesus has been extremely devoted to us. I pray that we will not be like a, like a black sheep and turn our back on him. But instead, instead, we will be like these worshipers in the book of Acts, generously devoted to our generous King Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for, for giving us Jesus. Thank you for generously giving us life. Thank you for generously giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you for generously paying not just for a little bit of our sin, but all of our sin. Thank you for being so generous with us, Lord. I pray that you help us to be generously devoted to you. Father, I pray that we be generously devoted to you. And I pray that you bring about such revival here at EP, in Annapolis, and in Anne Arundel County, and in Maryland, and our nation. Father, that you bring about such revival that people write books about that, about how Jesus worked in these places, and they will be in awe of you, Jesus, all over again. Father, I pray that you would raise up disciples and disciple makers in this place that would bring others into the kingdom of God. Take them deep in an understanding of who you are in them, who they are in you, and how you've called them to live. And Father, that you would then move through us to have your gospel proclaimed to the ends of the world. For you alone are worthy. You alone can make it happen. Father, please do so through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.